You are listening to the Healing Migraines Naturally podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Caesar, and I'm helping women rediscover a migraine-free life. Today, I'm talking to Mary, who runs our awesome Facebook community, about whether or not your pillow is causing you migraines. Welcome, Mary. How are you? I'm doing good. How about you? Good, good. We call this pillow talk. (laughs) So tell me why is it you were like, hey, let's talk about this. Well, this is probably one of the most commonly asked questions in our free Facebook group, Healing Migraines Naturally with Leslie Caesar ND. Somebody asks a question probably once a month. What kind of pillow are you using? Is there a special pillow for chronic migraine sufferers? It is one of the top recurring questions. And I thought, you know what? We've never done a podcast on this one. So why don't we do that? Definitely in the top five questions, I would think. Yeah. When you see these questions come in, what recurring uh, themes do you see? First of all, it seems like everyone is again looking for a magic bullet, right? Like Mm, if I can mm -hmm. find the one pillow, everything will be okay. And then secondly, obviously you get a hundred different options listed in the comments and one pillow will work for one person, but not the other. Like there's never that one magical pillow. People spend hundreds of hundreds of dollars on all of the different pillows trying to find that magic bullet. And mm-hmm. there's just no guarantee that it will help. For sure. Probably the two biggest recurring themes I see. <laughs> yeah, I think that's spot on. And I like how you tie this back to people looking for the one reason why they have migraines. Mm-hmm. And we did a podcast dedicated to this topic called What is the One Thing I Need to Do for My Migraine? So we'll link to that one in the show notes. But this is where our mind always takes us. Our minds are always trying to figure out why we are in pain, Mm -hmm. whether it's physical pain, mental pain, emotional pain. The mind is always trying to protect us and figure out why is the pain there? And if we can answer the question of why, then we can avoid the pain. So our mind is taking us to this question, but the mind is always looking for that one thing. It's very similar to the food issue where you eat something and then a few minutes later you've got a migraine. It's the same thing like I slept on my pillow and I woke up with a migraine. So therefore it might be the pillow. Mm -hmm. It's just the most, what do they say, the closest proximity to migraine. And so people assume it's actually the pillow that's the problem. Exactly. So the mind is always looking for that one answer so that we can avoid it, right? Mm -hmm. This is what the mind is doing. And it's doing it to protect us, to serve us, to keep us alive. And it works for simple problems. We put our hand on a hot stove In that case, our mind doesn't even have to get engaged. Our reflexes engage immediately and remove our hand from the hot stove. And then our mind comes in and says, wow, that was a hot stove. Better not do that again. Right. (laughs) But this is a very simple scenario of pain. It's not a complex system generating pain. It's a very simple thing that's generating pain. And so the mind is very suited to figure out that puzzle Our minds are not suited to figure out puzzles that exist in the unbelievable, you might even say infinite complexity 
of our body, which when I say body, I mean our physical, mental, emotional, and even spiritual aspects. I mean, just when you list it out like that, I mean, there's so many different combinations of problems in each different aspect that could be the problem. It can be one piece of this and one piece of that. Like, we just don't know. It's too complicated. Mm -hmm. But let's back up a little bit here before we go down to the secrets of the universe here. (laughs) Why does the mind question the pillow in the first place? What is very common when people, even if they have episodic migraines, but particularly with chronic migraines, it's very common for people to have migraine symptoms in their neck. Okay. So this is actually something that I am not particularly prone to. And Mm -hmm. I did not understand was as common as it is until I started working exclusively with women with chronic migraines going on, gosh, six years here. So is that like different than just a tense neck or is there something else? Because I don't know if I've ever experienced migraine symptoms in my neck either. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're more of an aura person. Right. What is very common, I mean, gosh, at least 50% of my clients have neck pain as a migraine symptom. So with migraines, classic migraine, we have some pain in the head, and then we have other symptoms usually to boot. We have nausea, we have vomiting, we have chills, we have numbness and tingling, we have cold feet, and then a great number of people also have neck pain as one of those symptoms. And in fact, for many people, the migraine symptoms will not start in the head or start in the stomach, they're going to start in their neck. Hmm. And this is well documented, actually, in the old naturopathic literature on sick headaches. These used to be called sick headaches. So if you look at the old medical literature, including the old naturopathic literature, this is the term that they're going to use, sick headaches. With a migraine, right, it's not just a headache. It's, you know, the nausea and, you know, the loose stools or, you know, it's tingling, right? It's the fatigue, right? It's this whole constellation of other symptoms in addition to the head pain. Right. Head to toe. (laughs) Yeah, head to toe, right, exactly. (laughs) So they would call it a sick headache. Even in the old-time literature, there are numerous descriptions of the migraine symptoms starting in the neck and then the pain. So the pain is starting in the neck or right where the neck and the skull meet. So right in that occipital area or like your C1 area. So right in that juncture there is a very common point or area where the migraine symptoms will actually start. And then from there, the pain moves into the head. So does it start like a joint pain, a muscle pain, a nerve pain, or can it be all of the above? Could be any of those. Okay. The most common description that I hear is that people will say, as soon as my neck tightens up, that's my uh Mm uh-oh moment my first sign. Or they'll say, I'll get this knot in my neck, or I'll get this knot right in that occipital area. They may feel a physical knot, you know, like I I need to get it worked out by a massage therapist, you know, that type of a knot. People might have a burning sensation. That's another, I would say, fairly common one. But it feels like the muscles in the neck are 
tight, inflamed. There's a knot in them. They're burning. Hmm. So it feels like maybe I need a massage. Maybe I'm holding myself incorrectly on the keyboard. Maybe I slept wrong on my pillow. Yep. (laughs) That one for sure. So this is very, very common migraine onset symptoms. Hmm. And then with it moving into the head after that, the mind says, oh, this started in my neck and then it moved into my head and then I got the migraine. I got the head pain and then I got nauseous and then I got the tingling and then I had the loose stools and then I had the cold feet. Sounds like dominoes. Right. But migraines, they always start with what I call an uh-oh moment, right? There's some uh-oh moment where it's like, uh-oh, something's not quite right. I could get a migraine here. Yeah. Usually, it's not head pain that's the uh-oh moment. Yeah, 100%. It's some, you know, if people are prone to auras, it's the aura, or it's yeah. the neck pain, or it's the, eh, my stomach's a little upset, or my hands started tingling. Yeah, mine is definitely the aura and it usually starts with just this tiny inkling that a little bit of light hit my eye in the wrong direction. Uh-huh. It's really weird because I'm like, oh, that feels like a migraine coming. Uh-huh. It's yeah, I've had that. I can get auras and I've definitely had auras set off by a reflection of a light off of a car hood, that type yeah. of stuff. You're like, uh-oh. <laughs> yep, you go, uh-oh. <laughs> Like there's really no better word to describe that moment, really. (laughs) Doesn't need to be scientific. Like we all get the uh (laughs) uh-oh. Right. If you get migraines, you get the uh uh-oh moment. Yep. (laughs) So for people who are very prone to the first symptoms of their migraine being in their neck, it really feels like that's not when the migraine started. It feels like my neck was tight. I was tense, I slept wrong, I wasn't sitting at my keyboard correctly, and my neck got tense, or my vertebrae got out of alignment, and then that kicked the migraine off. That's what it feels like. So the mind starts to go, okay, well, how can I prevent the neck from getting tight? Mm -hmm. And so then the mind starts running down all of the possible offenders, Right. And so uh, like eventually it's going to come to the pillow. Especially like we said, if it was first thing in the morning. Exactly. And I mean, how many people wake up? How many women with chronic migraines wake up in the morning with the migraine? Yeah, it's very prevalent. We did a podcast on that one. Why do I get a 3 a.m. migraine? So, of course, our mind trying to protect us and trying to do whatever it can to help us avoid pain is going to start to sort of accuse the pillow. (laughs) I like that. It's a good way of looking at it. (laughs) There is a little test that you can do to determine if your neck pain is a migraine symptom or if your neck pain is actually muscle tension, whether it be from not, you know, kind of sleeping, kind of kinked or from holding tension in your neck and shoulders while you're working. There's a way you can determine this. Okay. And this is if you take your migraine abortive, particularly a tryptin, Mm -hmm. or the new CGRP antagonist abortive pills like Nurtec, if you take one of those migraine abortive medications, not analgesic medication like Advil, Excedrin, Toradol, 
a muscle relaxer, okay? But in actual migraine abortive medicine, if you take one of those and the neck pain goes away along with your other migraine symptoms, mm-hmm. that's a migraine symptom. It's not neck pain. So if you take an Advil and the pain takes care of itself, then it's probably more like your neck or head is irritated. Well, with an analgesic, so an analgesic is a pain relieving medication. Mm -hmm. So that can, for some people, that can help their migraine symptoms, but it is also going to help any muscle pain. That's how they advertise a leave, right? I haven't got time for the pain and they show a construction worker or a mom (laughs) picking up a child. Absolutely. (laughs) So those analgesics, those pain relieving medication, they are working on different pathways. They're working on different biochemical pathways than migraine abortive medications like Mm -hmm. tryptans or CGRP antagonists. Okay. So it's not conclusive, right? If I take a general pain relieving medication and my neck pain gets better, well, yeah, that could have been because my neck was inflamed or because that analgesic helped my migraine symptoms. Okay. But if you take the migraine specific meds and it goes away, then it's more likely that it's migraine related. That's correct. Yes, because the migraine abortive medications, the tryptans and the CGRP antagonists, they are working on the biochemical pathways that are generating all of the migraine symptoms. And so when people take those, they will notice in general, right, a good response to taking an Imitrex is that all of the symptoms respond in some way. Some might respond better than others, but the head pain is going to respond. The neck pain is going to respond. The numbness and tingling is going to get a little bit better. The nausea is going to get a little bit better, right? Because it's working on the biochemical pathways that are generating the whole migraine cascade. Got it. So when I am working with a client and she's not sure, right? Is this like actual neck pain or is this neck pain a migraine symptom? It's like, well, what happens when you take your Imitrex? Oh, my neck feels fine. Mm -hmm. An hour later, I'm moving my head around. I mean, it doesn't hurt at all. Okay. If you pull your neck, let's say you're, you know, pulling weeds in the garden and you strain your neck and you take an Imitrex for that, it's not going to do anything. Okay. So that is a test for people that you can do with your migraine abortive meds. What happens to your neck pain when you take your migraine abortive medication? Mm -hmm. If it gets better or goes away, the pain is not a neck problem. It's not a vertebrae problem. Migraine symptoms are so insidious that you can actually get a knot in your muscle that you can feel that is a migraine symptom Mm -hmm. that will go away if you take an Imitrex. Right. So if I wake up in the morning, I have a kink in my neck and I take an Imitrex and whether it goes away or not, that gives me a clue Mm -hmm. if it's a joint muscle issue or a migraine issue. Mm -hmm. A construction worker with sore muscles taking an Imitrex is not going to get any relief of his sore muscles Mm -hmm. versus you take an Imitrex and pretty much all or all of the migraine symptoms will respond to that when people are getting a good response to their abortives. If you suppress your symptoms for too long, then your body is going to stop responding to your medication. We have a podcast on that that we will link Mm -hmm. to as well. But in general, particularly when people first start taking abortive meds, they work well. And so notice what's happening with your neck pain. You're one of these. 
kind of going back then to this phenomenon, I'm waking up in the morning. Oh, no, I got a knot in my neck. My occipital area hurts, you know, right where my neck meets my skull. That hurts there. Uh Oh, am I going to get a migraine today? Right. Now, there are some factors here that do relate to the pillow. And I want to go through this subtlety because up until now, I've been kind of presenting this like the pillow has absolutely no impact (laughs) on your migraines. So it's a little subtler than that. I wanted to first make the point that neck pain usually is a migraine symptom and not something actually wrong with the neck. But there is Mm -hmm. a way that our pillow plays a role in our migraine flares. Okay. And that is if our pillow is generating a physical stressor on our body. And I think that you're kind of hinting towards like not thinking of the pillow as the cause. Like it's not causing your migraines, but it might be putting your body under more stress. Correct. Okay. There are three things that we have to do to not get migraines. I call these things the three principles. They are the three things that we have to do to restore our health and maintain our health so that we don't get migraines and other symptoms. Mm -hmm. So the third principle is restoring our resiliency and vitality. It's our resiliency and vitality that keeps us in a state of health or a state of homeostasis or a state of balance in the face of all of the stressors that are continuously bombarding us. Mm -hmm. So I like to think of this as a needle pointing north. When we are in a state of health, when we're feeling good, our needle is pointing north. It's in the green zone. Unfortunately, our needle is continuously getting knocked down towards west by stressors, physical stressors, mental, emotional stressors. Those are continuously pushing our needle down towards west and out of the green zone, out of the good zone. Okay. It's our resiliency and vitality that pushes the needle back up to north and keeps us in the green zone, keeps us feeling good. So physical stressors can be very big physical stressors like accidents, you know, a car accident, an injury, a surgery, a major illness like bronchitis or pneumonia or COVID. Those could be very big physical stressors. But we are continuously bombarded by very, very small stressors, okay? A photon of light hitting our retina is a little physical stressor. Our sleep position may or may not generate a physical stressor on our body. Maybe you fall asleep in your chair and you kind of get your hand kinked under you and then you wake up and your hand's asleep. We can be kind of sleeping in such a way that adds a physical stressor. What conserves stressors, both physical stressors, mental and emotional stressors, is if we have routines. So routines are stress-conserving things in our lives. So if we had no routines, we never slept the same time from one day to the next, we never ate a meal from one day to the next, our home environment was you know, never consistent one day to the next, our mental and emotional environment, the people we were interacting with and having to deal with from a mental or emotional perspective, if they were never consistent, we would have no routines. Our body would have to have a tremendous amount of resiliency and vitality to weather all of this chaos. But routines 
the body anticipates routines and is therefore prepared for the stressor. Like, for example, eating a meal puts a physical stressor on the body. But if every day I eat breakfast between seven and eight and I eat lunch between noon and one and I eat dinner around six, I have a routine around when I'm eating. And so then the body starts to anticipate that and is prepared, right? Around seven o'clock, it starts making some stomach acid, starts waking up for the day, right? It's not just like, what's she going to do next, right? It (laughs) is preparing and anticipating this three time a day stressor that we put on it. Why is it? I mean, honestly, I absolutely loathe the word routine. <laughs> like this is Oh, really? <laughs> it is one of the biggest struggles in my life. And I feel like the people who need routines the very most are the ones that struggle with it the most. Like, what is that? <laughs> Raise your hands if anyone else can relate because routine is a hard one for me. Right. Well, and then we can feel it. And I mean, let me ask you, right, on days where it's particularly chaotic, do you feel more stressed out? Absolutely. I have four boys and no two days are the same ever. (laughs) So absolutely. Right. So we can even kind of feel this, particularly for things that we call stress, like mental or emotional stressors. Most people are not really appreciating or thinking about all of the tremendous amount of physical stressors that Mm -hmm. we are constantly bombarded by. I'm with you there. Like, I've always known routine is really good for you. And I knew that it was like a positive thing for mental health, but it never occurred to me that would be something that would affect on a biological, all the way down to my cells kind of way. Mm-hmm. I like to mm-hmm. some more about that. <laughs> <laughs> Got to process this one, huh? <laughs> way to go. <laughs> and this is why when people's vitality and resiliency gets lower and lower, mm-hmm. when they get more and more chronically ill, they cannot tolerate disruptions in their routine. This is why when people are elderly, they don't do so well traveling, you know, oh, hey, you know, grandma, let's go on a big cross-country trip. Eh, I think I'll stay home. I think I'd rather stay home. It seems like even the tiniest deviation when you're in that place wipes you out. Like, right. Mm-hmm. You're just done. You're out for a week. <laughs> or whatever. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, like a little baby. I, I love watching little babies sleep. You know, you yeah. go somewhere and here's here's a mom pushing a little baby in a stroller and they're just conked out. You know, you're at the mall. It's total chaos. And here's a little baby totally <laughs> conked out. Right. And they're all their heads all kinked. Right. <laughs> yeah. doesn't, they don't look too comfortable. <laughs> no, it never does. They are so in their happy sleep zone for sure. Right. They just can weather all of that chaos around them and still sleep. Mm-hmm. Our routines conserve our vitality. Mm-hmm. We're not saying like you need to be on such a strict routine and avoid avoid all chaotic, chaotic situations in order to avoid migraines. Like you're not trying to get people to like a very black and white lifestyle either, right? Correct. We want to have enough resiliency and vitality so that we can weather the intense light reflected off of the hood of a car hitting our retina, mm-hmm. right? So on that day, it was in the wintertime in Chicago and a rare, sunny, bright day with a bunch of snow on the ground here. And yeah. <laughs> man, 
right? That light just hit the hood of that car and see my needle. So let's go back to our needle, right? So if I'm pointing north, if my needle is pointing north and I'm in the green zone and I'm feeling good, great. But I've got a little spot on my dial called migraine zone. Mm -hmm. On that day, my needle was like right on the line. And all it needed was one more little stressor. Mm -hmm. Because in the grand scheme of things, light reflecting off the hood of a car on and onto my retina is not a huge stressor. It's not like I'm going through a bronchitis or something like that, or I'm in a car accident, right? But it was just enough to mm-hmm. push my needle into my migraine zone. And I didn't have enough vitality that day to push it back up out of that zone. And so then that little aura started mm-hmm. <laughs> and got bigger and bigger and bigger. The uh-oh went from the, oh, hell no. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> the uh-oh to the oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here we are. <laughs> right? So what when we have chronic migraines, what we do, and I've been there myself, is we try to bubble wrap ourselves because we can sense that any little thing is going to push us into the migraine zone. Any little thing being any little stressor. So then we try to bubble wrap ourselves. We got our sunglasses on. Our husband starts to talk about something. We go, no, 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 dear. Not today. Not today. <laughs> no right? politics on any day. In my uh, right. right. <laughs> For me, my daughter, she's very, very active. She loves to, you know, if she's in the kitchen, she's spinning around and she's singing and all things. When my needle starts to get close to my migraine zone, that mm. irritates me, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So then I'm like, sweetheart, out of the kitchen, right? I start to get a little irritable. We can feel this, right? We start to pick up on these things and then we try to bubble wrap ourselves by avoiding all of these little stressors that are pushing our needle down. Well, and just like you always say about food, you should be able to go to a restaurant and order off the menu. You should be able to go out and enjoy time with your friends family. You should be able to tolerate your daughter dancing in the kitchen. Exactly. We don't want to like get to the point where we're avoiding all of the wonderful things in life to avoid migraines. Right. Coming back to the pillow, Mm -hmm. we can have an old pillow or mattress that is not holding our body in an aligned position or it is not holding the head up in alignment. You know, maybe we're a side sleeper and the pillow's getting a little flat. And so now our neck is a little bit kinked. Right. So in that sense, that's going to generate a physical stressor on us. If our body is not in alignment, then we're going to have to use muscles to compensate for that lack of alignment and and so on. It places a physical stressor on the body. If we have a pillow that's gotten a little flat or maybe it's too thick or, you know, it overheats us, getting too hot is a physical stressor and getting too cold is a physical stressor. These little minute stressors, if while we're sleeping, our vitality is starting to flag and our needle is starting to go down to our migraine zone, then that little out of alignment with our shoulder to our head that our flat pillow is producing, that might be enough of a little stressor on the camel's back to put us into our migraine zone. So it's not necessarily like I'm looking at the comments. It's not find the right water pillow or cooling pillow that's a soda or buckwheat neck roll or I mean, there's like a hundred different variations. 
I personally really like a memory foam pillow. It's not about finding the right size, the right material, the right temperature, all of that, as it is about trying to keep your body from being in stress. Does that make sense? What we want to do is we want to have enough resiliency and vitality Mm -hmm. so that if something happens with our sleep position, because, you know, we might toss and turn a little bit and maybe our arm gets caught under us or something. And that generates a physical stressor, right? There's any number of little physical stressors that could be generated while we're sleeping. We want to have enough resiliency and vitality so that if that happens to us, if it goes a little bit out of routine, maybe we're over at somebody's house and we have to sleep on their pillow. So the body is used to, right? Oh, I'm used to my bed. I'm used to my mattress. I'm used to my blanket density. I'm used to my pillow. I'm used to my sheets. All of that is a routine. And so every night the body's like, okay, I know what to expect when I go to sleep. Well, now I go over to my in-law's house and I'm on a hide a bed, 20 year old guest pillow. I'm like totally out of my routine here. That's going to generate because the body is anticipating my home stuff. Now I have to adjust that adjustment is a physical stressor. All of that new stuff from the mother-in-law, that's going to generate little physical stressors on us. Right. And then maybe we're already mentally and emotionally stressed because we're at our mother-in-law's house. And then <laughs> right? every time I go to my mother-in-law, I'm getting a migraine because we're always speaking on the mother-in-law. Right? <laughs> Mother-in-laws, we love you. <laughs> so having our pillow, our mattress, all this stuff, it generates a routined sleep response. That's part of our sleep routine response. Mm-hmm. But if that is altered in any way via hotel room, traveling, mother-in-law's house, that's going to push our needle down. There's nothing we can do about that. That's how the universe works. Mm-hmm. It's our resiliency and vitality that allows us to weather, you know, the mental and emotional stress of the mother-in-law plus the pillow at her house. <laughs> Right. To keep our needle out of our migraine zone and pointing north towards the green zone. Right. So going back to my example, it's not about the type of pillow material, how hot or cold it is. It's not necessarily about keeping your body out of stress. It's about keeping your body healthy enough and in vitality so it can weather all of those things. Exactly. They get closer to that thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, my, my daughter's 12. She mm-hmm. and her friends. They have like a sleepover circuit. Her little group of friends are really big into sleepovers. And they sleep on the floor at this person's house or, you know, this uh, family, they've got little cots. So maybe at this house, they sleep on cots. At this house, they're sleeping, you know, on carpet in the basement. And my daughter will bring her little sleeping bag and her pillow. D- do I think she ever sleeps on her pillow? <laughs> No, right? They're just like in a big tumble. They're watching a movie. They fall asleep, right? But they're fine, right? right? Because when you're 12, you've got a ton of resiliency and vitality. Mm-hmm. I remember when I was in my 20s, I did some traveling through India. I was sleeping in youth hostels and on buses and like the whole thing. Now I'm 50. I cannot imagine <laughs> doing that. I can't either. I missed the prime window for sleeping on the bus, I guess. Right, because I don't have the amount of vitality that I had when I was 20 years old. Mm -hmm. We're all going to die one day when our vitality goes to zero. Right. And this is why, you know, people get into their 80s and I mean, any little thing and they can't sleep. Mm. 
So there is a limit, right? I'm not going to claim that I have the same resiliency and vitality that I had when I was 20 because the clock does wind down. But we want to maintain our resiliency and vitality as robustly for as long as possible, right? (laughs) We want the clock to wind down as slowly as possible. So I know we've talked in the past too, like what actually affects the vitality? If I remember, it seemed like we were talking about it almost being a circular thing, digestion and nutrition and your cells and all of those things together affect your vitality, but your vitality affects those as well. So Mm -hmm. if I come to you as a brand new person and I'm like, so how do I fix my vitality? How do I make sure I have it? I know you're going to tell me it's not a simple answer, but... (laughs) I would say there are two main areas to focus on. Okay. The first area to focus on is to build your resiliency and vitality like you build a muscle. Mm -hmm. So when you're building muscle, right, you just don't go into the gym and you try to lift 300 pounds. Right. You go into the gym and you start with the five pound weights or the 2.5 pound weights. Mm -hmm. You exercise the muscle until it gets tired and then you rest it. Then you exercise it again. Right. And over time, that muscle is going to respond and you're going to get stronger and stronger. Right. The muscle is going to get stronger and stronger. And then you're going to feel that. Right. You're going to feel that in your life where, hey, you know, this bag of groceries doesn't seem as heavy as it did. You know, I used to be lugging this stuff into the house and now I'm just kind of walking in. (laughs) Or I take more bags in. (laughs) I can lug 10 bags in instead of five. Right. So we can exercise our resiliency and vitality by carefully putting slight stressors on us and allowing the resiliency and vitality to respond to those stressors. So one of the best ways uh, to do this is to use water as a stressor. So different temperatures of water will put a little bit of stress on our body that our resiliency and vitality has to respond to. So I use a lot of different water therapies or hydrotherapies to have people gently put a little bit of a physical stressor on the system. And then the resiliency and vitality responds to that. And you continue to do that. And you it's like a muscle that you're building up. So if I wanted to go back to when I was 20 and I could sleep in a youth hostel and stuff like that, if I did that tonight, I'd wake up tomorrow morning... <laughs> <laughs> not feeling too thrilled, right? right. Not, not too happy with my life. But let's say that, you know, I have kind of maybe a bucket list thing that I want to do before I die and I want to be able to travel around and sleep in a youth hostel cot again. Well, what would I do? I would start to break my very routine, right? Because I have my nice mattress and I have the particular pillow that I think think is comfortable and I got my little cozy blankets and, you know, the pillow that I put between my knees, right? None of that's going to be available in the youth hostel. So if I slowly kind of exercise that routine, break up that routine a little bit, put a little bit of stress on it, my body, assuming I have enough time, is going to respond. Okay. The problem that we can run into is our resiliency and vitality can be declining at a faster rate than we can build it up. So if you're in like active migraine zones frequently, is that a good time to start working on your resiliency and vitality? It is not. 
Yeah. Do you want to wait until you get a little reprieve from the migraines? Correct. Yes. So this is something when I'm working with my clients, I'm looking for from their symptom response. Another way you can exercise your resiliency and vitality is with physical activity. Mm -hmm. When people have chronic migraines, many times people think, well, because our intuition is telling us, well, if I were more active, if I were more physically fit, I'd feel better. Probably our husbands are telling us that too, because that men are very oriented towards that type of action. Right. And how many times for every problem do you hear, lose weight, go on a walk, whatever it is, get more sleep. Right. You, the- you just want to strangle a person. <laughs> <laughs> many of my clients, if they go on a 20 minute walk, they're going to get a migraine. Yeah. First, we have to see the needle go up a little bit. We have to get a little bit of improvement in resiliency and vitality, which we work on through other things other than physical exercise. But then I will advise people, yeah, you know what? I think you're ready. I think you could do a 20-minute light walk, not a power walk, light walk. And then I think you could do a 25-minute walk. All of that walking is putting a physical stressor on the body. And so then our resiliency and vitality is going to respond. But yeah, we have to have a toehold in first. If we're going into a migraine zone every day, we don't want to put unnecessary stressors on the system. Right. And going for a walk, it's not a necessary stressor Mm. because we are inundated by stressors that we have no control over all the time, like the light hitting our retina, right? We can't really do anything about that. So first we have to get people to the point where we have a toehold of resiliency and vitality, and then we can start exercising that resiliency and vitality. So there's many ways that we can do this, okay? But light exercise when people are ready, and then different hydrotherapy techniques are two of my go-tos. Nice. The other piece to our resiliency and vitality are energy-draining or vitality-draining dynamics that are within the mental and emotional side of us. Mm. vast majority of the time sort of in the unconscious aspect of ourselves Mm. that are are draining our vitality. We've touched on that a few times in the past, but we've never really gotten super deep into that. So I'm really interested to hear like what types of things are draining the more psychological, spiritual, emotional part of us that drain the vitality. Like that's really fascinating to me. So yeah, I mean, we are kind of coming to the end of this podcast. Why don't we talk about this one in more depth on a future episode, but I can give you some common examples. Yeah. Basics for now. (laughs) So anxiety is a symptom that is also very vitality draining. Mm -hmm. When we have anxiety, we go into a hypervigilant state. That is something that drains our vitality. Anxiety is a very common symptom amongst women who are prone to migraines, myself included. Mm -hmm. I've had some bouts with anxiety personally. Anxiety is both a symptom and something that drains our vitality. This is different than other symptoms, say like heartburn. Heartburn is a symptom and it's unpleasant, but it's not draining our vitality, okay? Anxiety has to focus on something. The anxiety is directed towards something. So it might be directed towards people's, say, home. People will have anxiety around maybe where am I going to live or they might have anxiety around their health. They feel a small pain in their you know, elbow 
and their mind goes, oh my goodness, what if I have elbow cancer? <laughs> right? I'm kind of exaggerating for comic effect here, but you kind of get the idea. So health anxiety is very common. Somebody might feel a pain in their elbow and it may not put any energy onto it at all. Right. If someone has health anxiety, they're on Google. What are the nerves in the bones in the area? What is a nerve conduction test? What is, uh, you know, how likely is it that I have bone cancer? You know, I mean, uh, is there anything else that could be generating elbow pain? You know, I, you know, it's just like a half hour later. A half an hour. That's a short, <laughs> short session, Leslie. <laughs> and I guarantee, like, I've had to learn the hard way. Dr. Google will 100% tell you you have cancer no matter what symptom you are Googling. So, like, Exactly, right? Yeah. So anxiety is a big energy draining dynamic. And people are told, well, you know, just get your anxiety under control, mm. right? Then you have anxiety about your anxiety. So right. Now you're beating yourself up because, you, you know, it's if only it were that easy, nobody would have any problems. Okay. So if somebody has anxiety as a symptom, we have to get to the root of what's generating that anxiety in the unconscious. So I'll give you an example. So if let's say we have somebody that has health anxiety, they sneeze. Oh my goodness, I have COVID, you know, particularly in this day and age, right? It's like I sneezed. Oh my goodness, I'm doing a COVID test. I'm taking my temperature. It's my daughter sick, right? It's just it's just spirals. And this woman, her husband looks at her and goes, you don't have COVID, you're fine. What are you doing? The people are looking at her like, why is this such a thing? Mm-hmm. And her conscious mind says, well, but we, I mean, there's a COVID outbreak in the area. It's very difficult for the mind to disconnect the anxiety because the mind can always find a reason to be nervous about COVID if somebody sneezes. Mm-hmm. What's going to be in the unconscious for someone with health anxiety, that's going to be unique to the person. There isn't just one thing in the unconscious that is generating everybody's health anxiety. It's not that simple. But let's say that we have this woman with health anxiety. And when she was growing up, okay, in the family environment, things were very chaotic. Things were very unpredictable. She might wake up in the morning and the home environment be ABC and come home from school and the home environment was XYZ. Mm-hmm. Okay. In order for her to cope with that home environment, she would have to develop a hypervigilant response, right? Because if we are in chaos, we want to minimize the chaos. This is a natural urge, a natural desire a natural coping mechanism, right? Because chaos is very vitality draining. Mm -hmm. In the unconscious, our mental and emotional aspect is going to look for clues to try to make sense of the chaos. People in this environment, they will, many of them, like I say, this is not a guarantee response for everybody. I'm just giving sort of a common example or a reasonable example. So somebody would become very, very good at reading people's faces, reading people's body language, right? Right. And they wouldn't even be aware of it. It's just something that they can do. Because if I wake up in the morning and everybody seems like everything's okay, but then by the time I get home from school, it's pandemonium, what were the subtle signals that were being sent off before I left for school? our unconscious aspect is going to develop 
a highly honed ability to pick up on very, very subtle differences in tone, the way a door is closed, other interactions from other people in the household. And that is going to help that child cope with all of the chaos because then they start to pick up on these very, very subtle symptoms and then they can be prepared when they come home. In this situation, you have a coping mechanism of hypervigilance. Mm-hmm. Now, people grow up, they leave that home environment, they start their own family, right? They're out on their own. Usually people in that environment, there's a little bit of relief. I made it, made it out. But in the unconscious, there remains the hypervigilance. It doesn't have anything to focus on because the environment in which it was developed is no longer there. Mm -hmm. So what's it going to do now? It's got to put itself somewhere. So why don't I put it on my elbow? Why don't I put it on my cough? And I think it's important to say as well that like when people are under stress, we kind of go on autopilot and whatever you used or did as a child or saw as a child, like the modeling from your parents usually is what we use to cope on autopilot. So anxiety, if that's how you coped or hypervigilance or being an extra, extra, extra good kid, whatever it was that worked Mm -hmm. then is Mm -hmm. kind of what happens when you flip the switch as an adult and you're under stress. Yes, absolutely. You can imagine how vitality draining hypervigilance is, whether it's directed towards our health or it's directed towards, say, being safe. That would be a common one, right? If people go out, you know, they go to the mall, they go to a restaurant, they, you know, I'm, uh, they become hypervigilant around, am I safe? Are mm-hmm. there any threats in the environment? Who came in the door? Who left? Or, you know, th- this type of mm-hmm. hypervigilance, right? If we have this coping mechanism that's no longer serving us, no longer necessary, then it's very draining on us. No amount of just deep breathing, letting it go, meditation, you know, arguing with our husband that actually he should be more concerned about COVID than he is, you know, all (laughs) of these things that we kind of get into, they're not getting to the root. So this is what makes what I do very unique part of my process of working with people is identifying if people have energy draining dynamics. This is just one example. There are, you know, as many different energy draining dynamics as there are people, right? But if there are energy draining dynamics, we get to what they actually are. Mm -hmm. Because as I just described this, it seems very obvious, right? But to the person who lived this, it is in no way obvious to her that her health anxiety is a manifestation of the coping mechanisms that she used to survive that childhood. It's not obvious to her at all. And in fact, many times she would say, things are great now. Mm -hmm. I'm not in that environment. Like I have the life that I always dreamed when I was a child going through that. So why would I have a problem? Right. It's very obscured to us. We really do need, I mean, in my own life, I have, you know, practitioners that have helped me understand this within me, right? Because it's very difficult for us to see it in ourselves. We can really benefit 
from a guide that sort of guides us through this so that we can understand for ourselves what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just having a different perspective really sometimes makes all the difference. Mm-hmm. Well, so there's the vitality question. How does that sit with you, Mary? I actually really liked it. Like, who knew that pillows would lead to <laughs> such a deep psychological conversation, right? Right. The secrets of the universe, right? <laughs> <laughs> Every week, it blows my mind how far we go down the, the rabbit hole on these I things. know, right? <laughs> so, yeah, that was awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me again, Mary. Appreciate it. No worries. We'll see you guys soon. And thank you for listening. Before you go, be sure to like this episode, subscribe to this podcast, share with someone in your life who you think would benefit from this information. And if you want to stay connected with us, you can join my free Facebook group, Healing Migraines Naturally with Leslie Caesar, ND, where over 10,000 women are rediscovering a migraine-free life. You can go to Healing Migraines Naturally with Leslie Caesar, ND in the Facebook search bar or to healingmigrainesnaturally.com and we'll redirect you to the group.